0: Hello, welcome to Second Hand Stories. My name is Helen Black. I'm originally from Ireland and I now live in London. I'm a performer, an improviser and a storyteller.
1: Hello, and I'm Mark T Cox. I also live in London. I'm from Ireland. I'm a performer, a storyteller, writer, cabaret, entertainer, person. <laughs>
0: And together we run a show called Secondhand Stories. Secondhand Stories began as a live storytelling show that we used to run in London, back when people were allowed to leave their houses and do lovely things like go to storytelling shows. But now we are a podcast. We focus on storytelling, which is true and personal. The stories we tell have to be from our own lives and about things that have happened to us. And we also wanted to say thank you to all the people who have reached out so far about our previous episodes to say they've enjoyed it it means so much to us when you get in touch
1: Mm. Now, uh, this uh, podcast, how it works is we have a theme for each episode and then we have a little chat and we'll tell you a lovely story. So the theme for this episode is very exciting. um, It's accidents. And we'll be talking about accidents that we've had, accidents that we've witnessed, maybe accidents that we've caused, um, maybe ones that we've run away from, all kinds of things. So, Helen, you tell us, are you accident prone? Have you any... um,
0: uh I think I, yeah, well I think I'm quite clumsy. Like I knock over things um a lot. Um but I don't get myself into I don't hurt myself that often. Although a couple of years ago I was trying to spread butter on uh a, a bread roll and I, it either was in the fridge and I didn't know it was in the fridge or i I thought it was in the fridge and wasn't in the fridge. But anyway, I applied too much pressure and I just sliced open my hand with a butter knife and oh, I had no. to get it glued back together. That was probably the most, that was the last time I had to go to a hospital with an um, injury. <laughs> yeah. I should have
1: known better.
0: It's <laughs> ridiculous. I was really embarrassed telling people. Are you active in Parliament?
1: I've been good so far. You know, the last couple of years I've kind of I've
0: so far <laughs> in your I've life. not
1: gotten into much trouble. When I was younger, when I was like in my 20s and I was drunk all the time, um, oh. I fell over a lot. I fell over one night. Um, in college, I was running around campus chasing my friend Vicky, who stole my hat, and I was very upset. And so I ran around trying to find her, um, and I fell on my face and completely burst open my face, mm-hmm. and had to be brought down to the A and E in Saint Vincent's Hospital. And I was very drunk and delirious from the shock and everything. And I, I was sitting in the the like little station where the nurse was seeing to me, and she said, "And now, Mark, we're going to we're going to just take a quick look at your pupils and." I lifted up my shirt. <laughs> I thought she said nipples. I was very confused. <laughs> she sent me home anyway, I was fine. <laughs> I still have a scar. I still You're have a on scar nipple. in my nose from just on my nipples, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she knew. Oh, very good. And you, you don't get yourself into accidents so much anymore.
1: No, I stopped drinking.
0: (laughs) I'm
1: very safe now. Everything's fine.
0: (laughs) You learned your lesson. Um, (laughs) Are you going to kick us off today, Mark? Have you a story prepared?
1: I have a story prepared. Um, And my story, because... I was thinking about all of these things and lots of stories about falling over and, and accidents and, and kind of injuries. Um, but my story is actually um, an accident in the workplace. And um, there's nothing gruesome. It's nothing horrific. It's actually quite a small and simple little accident, but an easy mistake to make. And at the time, it was an accident which could have lost me my job. It could have ruined my life, um, or so I believed at the time. So this was a few years ago. This was back when I was living in Dublin and I had a selection of office kind of admin jobs before I moved to London. And um, this was my first office job. I was probably 21 just out of college. I had a degree. I had a good degree in architecture. and um, But I, I had a country in the depths of recession <laughs> with <laughs> zero work in the construction industry. So I was very lost. So I kind of bounced around between different jobs for a few years. And somehow I ended up in this particular office and I won't give too much detail of what this office was, Um, but it was part of a very large institution, a state institution with thousands of staff, which meant that everything was very, very formal and processes and forms and systems were very complex and certain things were very rigid, which is understandable. Anyone who's worked in a government or a big institutional job will know these things are very, um, very rigid. And the general kind of environment was very formal, way too formal, really, for what we were doing. And I had to wear a shirt and a tie and the ladies had to wear um, office-appropriate tops or blouses, which I was always very jealous of because the ladies had um, so much room for variety, I thought. (laughs) I thought, what would happen if I came in one day in an office-appropriate top or a blouse? But anyway, I got the job and my role was receptionist. Now, up until that point, I would have always assumed that receptionists do absolutely nothing. I thought they just swing around in a chair and just answer the phone and have a very, very cushy number. Um, But now, now I understand the receptionist has sometimes the most complicated job in the whole office. It's really hard because everybody expects you to know a little bit about absolutely everything that's going on. And in the first few weeks, I found I was just wrong all the time. Everything I did was wrong. Deliveries would come in and I would leave them in the wrong place because there was about five different parcel deposit stations across the office floor. And I'd get in trouble for forwarding too many emails to the managers because I didn't know anything. I didn't know how to deal with it anything. And then I started getting into trouble for replying to too many emails because I had not risen to the level yet of having decision making skills or powers. So that took time. It was a hard job. And the phone would ring and there was a handful of bosses who were notorious for dodging calls. They just did not want to speak to people on the phone ever. But I had to do this little dance hundreds of times a day on the phone where the phone would ring and I'd say, hello, this is blah, blah, blah. (laughs) How can I help? And then let me check if they're free. And then I have to transfer the call over to Mary, who's sitting five feet away from you, but you're not allowed to speak. It's a silent workplace. So transfer the call over to Mary and she picks up. And hi, Mary, it's Mark. I have so-and-so on the line. Okay, I'll tell them you're not here. Okay, thanks. Bye. And then transfer back. And then hello. And Mary's actually stepped out to lunch. (laughs) Can I take a message? This would go on and then they'd call back again in a few hours. Hello, let me check. Transferred to Mary. Mary's actually just transferred. (laughs) Mary stepped out to a meeting. This would go on all day long, just endless kind of dancing around these things. And people loved stepping in and stepping out of the office. <laughs> if there was any drama, you'd see a few of the managers stepping out to the boardroom. Or if you were getting into trouble, you'd you'd get an email from your manager, um, Sheila was her name, Um, again, sitting five feet away from you. And you'd see that Sheila would ask you to step out into the corridor for a few minutes for a little chat. And this was going on and on. Anyway, I settled in. And I realised the best way to survive this environment was just to join in, play along with all of this. And I got better and I was firing emails and memos all over the place all day long. And I gained some responsibilities. I became in charge of the stationary orders, which is very important. Um, I became in charge of organising and preparing the Friday tea station. So every Friday we stopped work for 20 minutes at 11am to stand in a big circle and have tea and very uncomfortable group small talk for a few minutes and my job was to prepare the cups and all the bits and then wheel this trolley through the office announcing to everybody that it was time for the friday tea i I wanted to kill myself many times but (laughs) i got used to it and finally i was given responsibility for looking after the photocopier now that sounds like a small job but in this particular office and the work that everybody was doing was very paper based and everybody was printing stuff all day long. And this photocopier, it was a beast. It was like it was like a small car, really. It was huge. And it did printing and scanning and copying and binding and it did stapling and you could push a button and it would just make a book it just print a whole book it was very complex and so my job was to manage the orders of the paper and the ink and to make sure that it was working all the time and it broke and I'd have to fix it or call the man from the service department to come and, and fix it. And it it broke all the time, several times a week. It got jammed and the ink thing would explode and staples would get stuck. And I didn't really know how to fix it. So often I would actually break it myself by accident. Um, and it took over my life. It's just stupid thing now but it became a huge strain on my mind this machine it was occupying hours of my day every single day and it became this whole big joke in the office that mark i i was the printer man and because any time people walked through this office nine times out of ten i was on my knees fighting and banging and screaming at this pretty photocopier and they'd all be joking they'd say oh is that machine causing your trouble again there, Mark? And I'd say, oh, yeah, you know, sure, look, <laughs> I just want to punch them. And then you'd have someone else coming in and she might say, oh, we'll have to get you a new one now for your birthday. Ha! <laughs> and I just have to smile back. And this was going on and on. Again, another responsibility and that was to lock up the building. So at six o'clock on the dot every day, I would leave and um, Everyone would leave and I would have to lock the door behind them and do a quick check of the building, checking the windows and the bits and making sure everything was safe before I left. And I had about twenty minutes to do this because at the twenty past six kind of mark, if I wasn't out, the security for the whole campus would come to check that I was okay. So this was scheduled, this was all very planned. So if I could do all my checks quickly, it meant I had about 10 or 15 minutes on my own. And in those 10 or 15 minutes, I would print things. (laughs) Now, nothing filthy, nothing naughty, but I might have to print like a form or like a boarding pass or something, or like a train ticket. And the office was so strict that personal printing was absolutely forbidden. There was a big sign up. So I, I could only do this when people had left. Or I might I might print CVs because I was always applying for other jobs to get out of there. And my favourite thing to print was song lyrics um, (laughs) because I had my little piano at home. And my favourite thing to do um, after a long day of this nonsense at work was to go home and sing pop songs. So on this one particular evening, it was about a quarter past six and I pressed print on a two-page Word document containing the lyrics of Britney Spears' Oops, I Did It Again. <laughs> and I decided to print it on a nice, slightly thick pink paper, just, just for fun. And I knew I knew this paper. It had a history of breaking the machine. It, it got jammed sometimes. Um, but I was reckless. You know, I was living on the edge here. So I pressed print, page one came out, and then bang. Beep, 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 and silence. The machine died. I stayed calm. I had been through this before. I opened it up and I found the jammed page and I pulled it out and I I reset everything and uh, pressed go and then out came page one again and then another one. And then another one. And then about 20 copies of verse one of Britney Spears. Oops, I did it again. We're flying out slow and steady, but it wouldn't stop. And I started to panic. I switched it off and I cancelled the job on the computer and I waited a minute. Then I restarted everything and off it goes again. This time double-sided. I didn't even tell it to be double-sided. I was distraught. (laughs) And it sounds so stupid now, but the rules were so strict and my life was so consumed by this job. I thought this is going to be the end of my life. If they find out, I will never work again. And then knock on the window. It's 20 past six. Here's the security guard waiting for me to leave. And the machine is still going about 45, maybe 50 copies now of Britney Spears. (laughs) Oops, I did it again. Or all over the office floor. So I just plugged out the machine and I gathered up all the paper and I shoved them in my bag and I ran out the door. And that night, I didn't sleep a wink. I was so scared. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I thought about phoning my boss. I thought about maybe explaining the accident. And I thought I thought about running away. I thought about never going to work again. I felt so sick. I broke this expensive machine. I'm going to be fired. I'm done. That's it. My life is over. And the next morning, I got up super early to try and be the first to arrive. And I was on the bus to work and I felt so sick. I was so worried. I got in the door and I popped my bag on the desk and a few people had already settled in to work. Those people who like to get in early and just bash through a few emails before they start work, something I'll never fully understand. Anyway, before I could get a chance to go check the machine, over comes my manager, Sheila, and she said, Mark, I wonder could we step into the corridor for a minute I just wanted to die. I thought, this is it. I'm fired. Mm -hmm. And so Sheila (laughs) brought me to the corridor and she said, Mark, I just wanted to touch base about the photocopier. And my eyes just started to well up and I was about to fall on the ground and start begging for forgiveness. And Sheila said, I have some great news. I wanted to tell you for weeks, but I didn't want to ruin the surprise. (laughs) She said, the funding... It was cleared and we were able to buy a brand new photocopier for the office and it's arriving right now this morning. (laughs) She grabbed me by the hand and she walked me back into the office just in time to see two big muscly men wheeling a new photocopier into position and taking the old photocopier, which had still been plugged out (laughs) since my little accident last night. And they took it and they wheeled it out the door And it was never seen again. And I fell onto my knees and I started crying with joy. I was hysterical. And I started hugging this new machine. I was just beaming with excitement. And the whole office came in to gather around and kind of have a look. And I'd say they just thought I I had lost it. (laughs) They just thought I was gone. Absolutely mad. Um, This was not the reaction that they expected. They knew I was happy, but this was all a bit too much. And everyone went back to their seats and I learned Never, ever, to print Britney Spears lyrics in the workplace, <laughs> ever again. Uh, <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> That's
1: my story. <laughs>
0: oh, I've, I've been there. I can, I can identify with all these things. It's always when you're printing inappropriate things that the the photocopier stops working, or
1: oh my god, the chaos, <laughs> the terror.
0: <laughs> I remember. I, I used to work in a school one day a week and uh, one time,
1: so I had to get all my
0: printing done in that one day a week. One time a teacher <laughs> uh, just went in with a boarding pass because I'd obviously done two by accident and just oh, leaving no. it on my desk and being like, I think that was for you. It was in the printer. And I was like, Whoa! oh, God. <laughs> everyone does it. Like, just, <laughs> everyone just does feel, it, but you're
1: not allowed. I state like money as well. Away. Stay, Taxpayers.
0: Stay, listen, don't tell, don't tell the taxpayer.
1: Taxpayers money. Oh my no. God. Oh. Will now, I tell you a little you a story. story myself?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have one. More.
1: Have you a nice one too?
0: I have a nice one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another tell distressing us. one. My little accent. Okay. So uh, when I was in my early 20s, I lived in Abu Dhabi for two years. So I was a primary school teacher over there. I'm still a primary school teacher sometimes, but I was teaching primary school over there. And the rules, as you uh, can imagine, um, are quite strict about what you can and you can't wear. And generally, when you're at school especially, um, you'd have to be covered like up to your neck and down to your ankles, as well as having long sleeves all the way to your wrists. Because, and then just for modesty reasons and then because of the heat the clothes would always kind of be a light material so you might wear like a light cotton but not too clingy not too clingy um was as important as the length but you kind of got a feel for what you could and couldn't wear um pretty soon after living there so then one day I was asked to go to a teaching conference um and and I was delighted about this because I got the day out of the classroom, and I, I'd go to anything for the day out of the classroom. And it was on in this local hotel, and because everything in Abu Dhabi is fancy, it was the conference was kind of laid out more like a wedding. Um, there was definitely like flowers, and um, there was white table tablecloths on circular tables and chairs with white seat covers. So I was wearing a long grey dress, uh, which kind of went all the way down to my ankles and a short white cardigan. I was at the conference with my teacher friend, Susan, and it was about using language in the classroom. So like how to get the children speaking more when they're learning English. And there's about 200 people at the session and the person running it was an Irish teaching consultant who I had met once or twice before. So the conference was quite dull and I was happy enough because I wasn't at school. But while I was sitting there listening to the man, Michael, the teaching consultant, speaking, I just got this feeling that I was like, I just got my period. I've just got my period. So I was a bit panicky because I had this quite light dress on. And so I kind of did a little scoot off the um, side of the chair And kind of raised my leg slightly and realised my worst fears had come true Or, and I had perioded through the grey dress onto the white chair. I was like, fuck. So I decided I'll get up and I'll go to the bathroom. So as I stood up, I took my bag from the ground and put it on the chair. And at the same moment, the Irish guy, Michael, had asked the audience if anyone would volunteer to demonstrate a game based around the language experience approach. So unfortunately, at that moment, I decided to stand up and um, Michael asked for a volunteer. And what was doubly unfortunate was that Michael knew my name. So he said, any volunteers, anyone? Oh, brilliant. Helen, yeah, come on up. And I was like, no, fuck, no, no, I can't. I can't come up. But I felt like I couldn't say no, and I grabbed my friend's hand, and I was like, "Give me your cardigan," because she had a long black cardigan on. My friend, and she just looked at me like I was absolutely mad, and she was like, "And I was like, give me your cardigan," and you could see I was kind of starting to cry, and she just started to take it off, and she just didn't really know why, and I was like, this is I'm coming period," and she's like okay but like I don't really understand what this has to do with the card and then I dragged her by the arm and I pulled her up to the stage as well and we were up there on the stage with about 10 of us volunteering to do this whatever game he had arranged and he had arranged the chairs into two circles an inner circle where the seats were pointing outwards and an outer circle where the chairs were facing in and each chair was kind of facing another chair. So Michael told us all to sit down in a chair, and I kind of perched on the edge of one of the chairs in the outer circle, and Michael then told us this, ga- this is a game to maximize the time students spend speaking to each other when they're learning a new language, and each person in the game will get an opportunity to speak at least fi- to f- at least five new people. And then the people in the, mid- in the outer circle will rotate. He said, "It's a bit like speed dating." So I, in the outer circle, was going to have to move five times to five new white circles. So I looked at Susan and I was like, this is it. I'm going to cry now. And I had barely half an arse cheek on the chair. I was kind of hovering. And Michael says, you can decide if you want to be good listeners or bad listeners, because we're all pretending to act like students. He's like, you can be a good listener or a bad listener. You can be a good student or a bad student. And he he told us um, then that we had to speak to our, vol- our fellow volunteers, our partners about like our hometowns or our hobbies or whatever you speak about when you're learning a language. And I could just not concentrate at all about whatever this girl that was talking to me was saying. And after the game was finished, Michael said to the audience... Um, Do you you think these people um, Demonstrating the game uh, Do you think they were acting as good listeners Or bad listeners And this American woman Put her hand up and she said Oh I think that lady in the grey dress Was a very bad listener She didn't face her partner at all She was barely sitting on the chair And then my friend Susan was looking at me And she was like were you barely sitting on the chair I was like I can't cope with this But eventually, after moving and moving and moving and moving and just a game I just thought would never end, um, I eventually was allowed to go back to my seat. And I'm heading towards the table kind of at the back of this conference room. And then I see that there are two women sitting, chatting. One of them is on the seat where I had put my bag, moved my (laughs) bag onto the chair. And she sees me coming and stands up like, oh, sorry, like I took your seat. And I tried to kind of as quick as I could swoop into the seat. So as she got up, I went down and my manager at the time held onto my arm and she was like, oh, Helen, I wouldn't sit back down there. I think that lady just had her period. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, (laughs) (laughs) "Ooh." Oh, I thought it would never end, Mark.
1: <laughs> you said that dirty thing. <laughs> no, it was
0: like, gross. Period. I walked
1: out. <laughs> oh my God, the terror.
0: <laughs> the terror, yeah.
1: How many people were watching? How many people were in the audience?
0: 200, I'd say. 200.
1: <laughs> I would just collapse on the floor. Yeah. <laughs>
0: But uh, yeah, that's how I felt. And then I was like, well, I'm so close to tears, like tears of embarrassment. I was like, when's it going to end? When's it going
1: to end? Oh my God. And the
0: heat. (laughs) (laughs) I went home to my housemate that night and I was like, okay, something happened to me today. I think it was funny, but I'm not able to laugh about it (laughs) yet.
1: But in years to come, I'll have an award winning podcast.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. This will be an award-winning episode of a podcast.
1: She'll I'll say, what's a
0: podcast? Because they have many. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I feel oh. so sorry for you. Oh, my God. You came out of it all right.
0: <laughs> okay, in the end, yeah.
1: Oh, the poor woman who took the seas.
0: Yeah. Oh, dear. Bless. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh.
1: God, that was not what I was expecting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Like, this conference oh, oh. Well, It's
1: good that we can look back and laugh now. This
0: is good? It, yeah.
1: <laughs> I enjoyed this episode. That's yeah. good. That's it. We're, we're all finished now. Um, we'll be back with more episodes again soon. We might have a special guest. Um, we've had one guest so far. We might have another one again in the of future. Him. But that's yeah. all for today.
0: Yeah, and get in touch. Um, we loved hearing for you and uh, some people saying that they empathised with being a frigid. A lot of frigids out there, Mark. Um, Lots of them, out. I heard that. hear uh, <laughs> stories. Tell us if you'd like to share any of your stories. Get us online at Secondhand Stories and find us individually. I'm Helen Black and Mark is Mark T. Cox. Well, that's all from us.
1: That's it. See you soon.
0: Bye bye.
1: Bye-bye-bye.